My wife and I, Randy, we have the privilege of serving in the, uh, the body in this church, and we, we do count it as a privilege and an honor. And this morning, I, I, I want to share what I was going to share last week, but we were iced out, which is okay. It's part of being a St. Louisan. We get used to these type of things. But two weeks ago, um, I, I spoke for several minutes about um, uh, Rick Perryman, who I didn't see him. Is he Rick in the room here? There we are, right over here, and Jean Bloch. He's the wearing camo this morning, um, blue chair camo. Uh, Rick and John Block and I had the privilege of going to India for a couple of weeks recently, and I shared two weeks ago just about several of the things that um, the Lord did for us, what we saw, what we experienced, just the blessing of being in India, and, uh, and I mentioned Don and Barb Kassabam encountered a man, met a man 20, 22, 23 years ago in India, invited him to come to St. Louis for a training school. A man's name is Rajiv, beautiful wife Lily. They came, or he came, uh, went back, and he's just planted, he's planted over 100 churches. He has uh, started an orphanage, multiple training facilities for uh, children, and they're ticket out of poverty many times. One way is to learn English, and what, they've, what Rajib and his team of people have done there is they're, they're teaching children. They are giving them opportunity to learn English, to understand how to do math and skills and teaching parents. We were at a couple of different churches, and as part of their literacy program, they're teaching adults how to speak English. It is one of or a main ticket out of the poverty that they're in the cycle of. They have nothing to do with it. It wasn't like they're lazy. They quit their jobs. They're you know, living, off the, living off the land. All they know is poverty. That's all they've known is poverty. And the people that we work with in India are doing an amazing job. And I'll talk more about it in a few minutes. Um, but I think I was certainly, John has been there a couple of times, John to be seen later. Uh, John's been there a couple of times now. Rick is, I think he has a second home in India um, and been there many, many times. But I was overwhelmed with what I saw and experienced there. Um, and it, it made me, I'm getting way ahead of my notes here. It made me understand what a privilege it is to live in this country. What a privilege. And I didn't pick my green eyes. Sometimes blue, depending on what I wear. But I didn't pick my green eyes. I didn't pick my flowing locks. I didn't pick Caucasian as a skin color. I didn't pick to be born in a white middle-class family. I didn't pick the parents I picked. I had nothing to do with it. I simply woke up one day crying, is what I was told. I was there, but I wasn't aware. I didn't do anything with where I am at in life. It was just God's sovereign hand. And those people didn't choose to be born into poverty, didn't chose, uh, choose to be born into a family where grandpa had leprosy, and now they're stuck in a leper colony for the rest of their days apart from opportunity. They didn't have anything to do with it. They simply were born where they're born. And so as I'm, and the two of other, my, my compadres as we were walking around, I was just keenly aware of how blessed I am, how privileged I am. And then that, um, that thing in the back of my mind, he was given much, much is required. And Lord, what would you have me do with my abundance? And when this church started, 
uh, September of 2013, a, a gentleman named Mike Stevens. He's a, a brilliant pastor, an el elderly man now, first pastor my wife and I ever had. He came and spoke a month into this church's existence in October 2013, and he shared a scripture out of uh, Psalm 36, I believe. And it was, from the abundance of this household, nations will eat. From the abundance here. And so we, we have an opportunity as a family to help people across the world, whether it's Haiti, whether it's Guatemala, whether it's uh, Papua New Guinea, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's England, whether it's India. We have lots of opportunities to bless across the world and to take my excess that I, I could go and blow 50 bucks today for, uh, to, to pay for Stephen's lunch because he's a healthy eater. And I'm not talking green. I'm just talking healthy eater. It takes a lot to feed him. I could go spend 50 bucks to feed my friend. Or, I, Lord, I, I want to recalibrate my thinking. How do, I, how do I spend my excess? How do I spend my spillover? So I want to talk more about that in a few minutes. But two weeks ago, I asked that um, if you were here, could you start and begin just reading Isaiah 58? It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I know I have many. I've said all of them are my favorite. This one is one of my favorite. I became a Christian August 3rd of 1977, the summer of my uh, graduation from high school. Yes, I did. Thank you to silence those questions. And I did, kind of. Um, and I got saved the summer out of high school in Pattonville across the, across the river. And that same summer, I got saved August 3rd, and eight days later, God spoke to me. Um, and I'm not, I, I just want to do a quick disclaimer. Don't do what I did. Okay, does everybody understand that? Do not do what I did, and I'm about to tell you. Don't do it. Kids, don't try this at home. I was a, had been a Christian eight days. I went from nothingness, no church background, didn't know anything about the Bible. I was a really good reprobate pagan, committed pagan, got saved, and I was one of those annoying people that was going to tell you about the love of God by telling you you're going to hell. What, what a gift of life I am and was. Brilliant evangelist. You can just imagine how many people got saved. None. And... But after eight days, I was, I was just praying, and I was with the, the man who led me to the Lord as an eight-day-old Christian, knowing nothing about the Bible. And I, I just I wanted to move from St. Louis. I felt that a couple of times, several. And so I was praying with my friend Owen, and I said, Owen, how does God speak to you? And he says, well, dude, I don't know. He'd been a Christian two months, so he was mature. So he said, dude, I don't know, man. God just speaks to you. And I'm like, okay. Well, obviously, he speaks to you from the Bible. He says, yeah, dude, that's right. God speaks to you out of the Bible. And I said, I need to know, does God, will God allow me to move to Cuba, Missouri? That should be an obvious no. But at that time, there was a pretty girl living in Cuba, Missouri. Easy, easy. It ends well. And I was just like, Lord, should I take this job and move to Cuba, Missouri? Total great reasons. Pure heart, best of intentions. Not. And I just said, so, oh, and if I ask God if, if, if he will guide me, can God guide me? He said, absolutely God can guide you. And I said, well, how does he guide you? And he says, well, just ask him. Ask God to guide you. And I'm like, okay, um, you've got a Bible. 
And so I, I, I said, get your Bible. And I said, this is not like Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> it was pre-Wheel of Fortune. But I said, oh, and if I just open the Bible and put my finger on a page, can God guide me? And he said, yeah, dude, God can do anything. He's totally awesome. So I said, okay. This is August 11, 1977. So I opened my Bible, closed my eyes, because that's what religious people do. I opened my Bible, just right in the middle, wherever I should say. And I said, Jesus, please help me. I'm a mess. I need help. There's this girl in Cuba. Should I or shouldn't I? Cuba, Missouri. And I put my finger on the page, and he said, start reading, dude. Does it work or not? Please don't do this. It's a one-time thing. I think for all of eternity, I spent that. It's not up for barter anymore. I put my finger on Isaiah 58:11, and it says, "The Lord will guide you continually, watering your life when you are dry, and keeping you healthy too. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring, and your children will rebuild the deserted ruins." of your cities, then you will be known as the people who rebuild their walls and cities. Amazing. And I was like, whoa. It wasn't water into wine. It wasn't bread and fish. But in that moment, I had, uh, I had a, an encounter with heaven. In that moment, the God could speak to me. In my stupidity, God can speak to me. And from that moment, over the next 40-plus years as a Christian, God has spoken to me out of that passage, Isaiah 58, 11, and 12, countless times from countless different people. I'm out of town somewhere overseas, and somebody will come up to me and say, man, I, just, I got a verse for you. You've probably never heard it before, but it's Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. And I'm like, I, I know, I know, thank you, I know. Keep telling me, remind me. And it's just, it's just a verse over my life. And I know it's a, it's a messianic promise. It was about Jesus. But it's just one of those things, what God will do to you. In your, in your stupidity, he's faithful. And yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, in my stupidity. Let's personalize it right here. He's kind and he's faithful. For years, decades, this has been the verse over my life. And I love this verse. It means everything to me. I... I Repeat it to myself in my, in my darkest moments of life, which is 2006, 2007. I stood on top of a wall, and I spoke this verse over my life every single day for months to get me out of the worst experience of my life. And I just committed. I said, Lord, you said you would guide me continually and satisfy my needs in a sun-scorched land, and I'll be like a well-watered garden whose waters never fail. And I will be called rebuilder of broken down walls and a restorer of streets with dwellings. And I said it to myself. I said, Lord, you said, and I trust you and I believe you. All hell seems to have broken out against me and against my wife and I. But Lord, your word is true. And over the next 40 years, I did something that's a little unusual. I thought maybe it's important to read the passage above it. <laughs> Because there's this thing in the Bible called context. Context. Why is this little verse, verse says, why is it in there? And two weeks ago, I asked all of us, if you were here, and if you did it, fantastic. You, you'll have a little bit of a, uh, a head start this morning. 
But if you're a guest here, um, no problem. I'm thrilled you're here. I want to read it in just a minute to provide, provide a context. And it was the people of God were in a horrible place. They didn't know it as, as many times will happen in our lives. We, we don't actually realize where we really are or how we're actually thinking and functioning on the inside. But God gives us reality. And I just want to read Isaiah 58, 1 through uh, 14. It'll um, just incredibly appear because people have great fingers and, and they had a heads up. But I just want to read it and just let the word of God soak in. So this is a people who are wanting something from God. And it's Isaiah 58, beginning of verse 1 through 14. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. This is the context for what I read earlier. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. I'm like, oh Lord, this doesn't, it's not starting good. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. The people said, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and, Lord, you have not noticed? God's response is this. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Isn't this positive? This is really going somewhere good. I feel it. It's building. Verse 4 again. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You, Tom, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I, God, have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast today acceptable to the Lord? And then God re, recalibrates, resets, and says, this is what I want. Not that, I want this. Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Verse 7, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor, the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, if you do those things, Tom, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Tom, 
if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. I'm glad that's not me. There's a reason why we pray for two churches here every week. Lots of reasons. This is one of them. Tom, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if, Tom, you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Then we get to verse 11, the verse God gave me for my life. Then all this, Tom, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Tom, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient walls, will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken-down walls. Notice the caps, the capital letters, and repair. It's holy. It's messianic. It's the call of Jesus. It's the call over me and you. It's messianic promise. You will be called repair of broken walls. Restore, capital R, of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Powerful, powerful. And we're doing a series in 2019 with three words, know, grow, and go. And for the first three, four months, we're going to be focusing on knowing God. Because if I know what he's like, if I know what he's like, if I truly understand, he's not American. He's not Republican. I know. Just consider it for just a thought. Just a second. He's not American. I know. I hear the people choking and gasping. He's not American. He's not Western. He's also not Eastern. He's not a conservative, politician-minded sort of person, entity, God. He's God Almighty. Amen. And his native language is not English. He's God Almighty. Amen. And his native language is not English. He doesn't vote conservative. He also doesn't vote liberal. But I'm here to say, it's so easy when my vantage point, my lens, is as a, a white American, which many of us are in this room, not all, but it's so easy to think God thinks like I think because if I thought I was wrong, I would change, right? If I thought I was wrong, I would have a different opinion. But I don't think I'm wrong, so my opinion's right. Yes? I'm, you're probably not that way. Yes, you are. <laughs> and so it's so easy to think, I'm, I, I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm not right, but I think I'm right. So... I'm thinking what God thinks. And he says, no, my 
ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you do. My values aren't necessarily your values. Not that they're juxtaposed, but they may be different. And so we're going through a series. Lord, I want to know you. After 42 years as a Christian, 42 years as a Christian plus, I can still learn about him. Maybe I need to adjust some of my thoughts, my perceptions, my values, my inclinations, my priorities. Maybe I need to rethink my ways, possibly. Is it possible that I personally may need to make some adjustments? Do I really know God that well that I can tell you exactly what he's thinking about? Because that's what these people in the beginning of Isaiah 58 were, malicious talk, pointing of fingers. You're guilty, you're wrong, you're guilty, you're wrong. Am I so sure of myself that I can tell you what God thinks on any situation? Many times I can. <laughs> and then I get humble and I step back and say, Lord, am I thinking as a white middle-class American? Am I looking through the grid, my personal filter? Father, help me understand your heart. What do you value? What are your priorities? What are your priorities? What moves your heart? And right here in Isaiah 58, it tells me what moves his heart. It says, if you want to know my heart, clothe those people who can't clothe themselves. Feed people who can't feed themselves. Come alongside the lonely. I've given you abundance. Is it to be spent on me? Or is it to be spent on us? Why am I wealthy? I have a funny story, and the person's here, so please forgive me. It has nothing to do with you. So I went to breakfast this week with a person, and I am really trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to see less of me. So I ordered oatmeal. I'm dieting, trying to see less of me. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I ordered oatmeal, and my friend, who's thinner than me, he orders three pancakes, eggs, this, this, and I'm like, dude. How do you eat that and not look like me? So we ate. We had a great time, wonderful man. And uh, at the end, I, I, I grabbed the bill and uh, put the tip on the table. And he just asked a simple question. He just kind of looked at me and said, are you independently wealthy? And I went, no, but my dad is. Now, that was a really religious answer. I'm guilty. Sorry. But I, as, I, as I was just thinking about it, later that day I thought, I am so blessed. The money I have probably doesn't compare to what many people in this room have financially. But I understand a couple of things. And one of the things, I'm really blessed. Just living in this country. If you live in a trailer in this country in St. Louis, you're more wealthy than most of the people in the world. If you live in a mobile home compared to the rest of the world. But we don't think like that because if I won't live in a mobile home, I want a rental. I want a house. I want, you know, the second house in Florida. North Carolina, maybe. <laughs> but is it, do, I, do I actually comprehend how wealthy I am? Do I comprehend the vast wealth that I have compared to most of the rest of the world? And if I do, I have an opportunity to do something with it because now I'm in reality. Now I understand how wealthy I am. And the Bible says to be generous on some occasions. 
Be generous when you're feeling generous. The Bible says be generous on all occasions. All occasions. And that does not mean I'm going to buy your lunch or breakfast every time. In fact, it's your turn. Just kidding. Just kidding. We don't take turns. Generosity doesn't take turns. Generosity looks for opportunity. It's opportunity recognizing what I have, and I want to express tangibly my love to people. Generosity is just one way. But I think it does start with recognizing what I have. So in the next few minutes, I am not going to do a teaching on fasting. I am simply not. That is not the focus of this morning or next week. One, because I want you to like me. It's one of those things. Hey, this afternoon, who wants to go door-to-door evangelism? Crickets. Who wants to go on a two-week fast with me? Crickets. Who wants chocolate for dinner? Yes. Amen. Who wants to see the Blues win another game? Yes. Go Blues. And I'm not avoiding the topic of fasting intentionally. It's just not my point this morning. So often, over 42 years, I, this will shock you, I have not fasted a lot. I just haven't. Certainly not recently. I'm a good American. But most of the time, over my very, very limited experience and limited perspective, Most of the time, when I or people that I know have fasted, it's for a very specific reason. They want a job. They need money. They need healing. They need need something, or they want something. So people will turn to fast, because if I fast, God's going to hear me. If I fast, God's going to see I'm really serious. I need this. I want this. Most of the time, from my limited perspective, I've certainly done it on many occasions. But when I look at just the true nature of fasting, what I need is him. And fasting doesn't impress God. It doesn't twist his arm. He's not more likely to listen to me if I'm fasting because I'm serious. I really need this. Hello, can I get your attention here? I know the guy and Dana think it's all about them and their needs. Oh, they got a lot of kids. They got needs. But just focus on me for a minute because I need this. I want this. And yet God's heart is... I just want you to need me. Jesus said it himself. If you seek me first, I'll add all these things to you. But the issue is, was, and always will be seeking him first, placing everything at his feet and say, Lord, I just want you. I'm just desperate for you. I just want you. And all all fasting does, honestly, just break it down real simple. All fasting does is it brings me an awareness of my need for him. My stomach is gurgling. Why? It hasn't eaten. Oh, yeah, I'm praying. I'm missing a meal. I'm watching somebody eat chocolate right in front of me because they don't care about me. They're cruel people, and that's okay. I'm not going to mention it. But they're eating chocolate. Oh, why am I not eating chocolate? That's right. Lord, I'm seeking your face. I just want you. I want you to be more real in my life. I just want you. Because if I seek you, all the things that are pulling at my time and attention, they'll come. But I just want you, God. That's why we fast. It's like a a radio, old school, sorry, a radio, and you're looking for, is it 99.1? That's what I'm supposed to be listening to? Okay. 
I'm looking for 99.1 and it's on 99.3 and it's crackly and staticky and not in focus and I hear a little and it's in and out. And then, boop, just a slight adjustment and I'm back on 99.1 and I can hear Lauren Daigle. I want to hear Lauren Daigle. I love Lauren Daigle. If you don't know about Lauren Daigle, are you saved? I mean, that's a question, not a con. What in the world? How did I get on Lauren Daigle? Segway, Segu. That's how it's spelled, I don't know. phonetically speaking. 99.3, I just need a slight adjustment. That's what fasting does. I just, at times, need a slight adjustment, and fasting will put my focus back on God. Does it twist God's arm? No. Does it make him feel sorry for me? No. Is, it, is he impressed? No. It helps me just to focus. Lord, I just, I'm not hearing your voice right. I just, what can I, how can I hear your voice? Just fasting just potentially puts it back on 99.1 so it comes really clear. Because, Lord, I want to hear your voice. It's oxygen. It's life. It's everything to me. And if I'm struggling, it's just one of those things for me just to put myself on target, on focus, where I hear your voice. I, I had a friend of mine in Chicago just 10 days ago call me, and he said he was doing a, a fast called the Daniel's Diet, Daniel's Fast. Sounds like vegetables to me. I don't know. Um, I love vegetables, so that's kind of tailor-made for my wheelhouse. But my friend in Chicago, who's already real thin, I really don't care for him. Um, <laughs> Rich Stoles? Yeah, 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 your brother-in-law. We don't like him. He's just kind of one of those guys. He looks like Hercules before Hercules became Hercules. He's just kind of muscly. And he, yeah. So he called me and he says, Tom, I've been on the Daniel diet fast thing for 30 days. And he said, um, God spoke to me in a dream about you last night. And he shared the dream, and it was perfect. I didn't ask, I didn't dial him three days later, hey, dude, can you call up a dream for me? I just need some direction here. You might put the finger back on the, yeah. He just shared this dream with me. It was just the word of God in the moment. And he said, I, and Rich said, he said, I, I don't do a lot of fasting, but I'm just hearing God's voice so clear right now. And I heard God's voice for you. But the goal of seeking God. The goal is to know him, to get outside of my comfort boundaries, my comfort zone. And Lord, I just want to know you. I want to know what moves you. I want to know what offends you. I want to know what excites you, what makes you smile. What, what's important to you, God? What's the, the culture of heaven? What's the value of heaven? What, what is it that you're looking for? And I find in Isaiah 58 what he's really looking for. You're blessed. Can you bless someone else? You're blessed. Will you consider the needs of others? I don't know about you, but I'm in this weird place in life. I have bills. You're probably not there. Everything paid for, phone's free, electricity's free, everybody's giving you gas cards. You probably have no bills. I have bills. And if you're like me, maybe you can think about them probably more than you should. Or maybe you, where you want to spend your money. You want to go to, gosh, is it Tahiti, Fiji, Bora Bora? I have the answer. Is it, which one of these three, Lord, the Lord would say Bora Bora? Just, I'm here to help. So maybe you don't have bills, but you're just like, how do I invest my money? Do I, do, do I shuffle it here? Do I move it out of the stock market? What if I moved it out of my pocket into somebody else's? Just a small part of it. 
recognizing my 401k is really nice. It's not as nice as hers or his, but the Lord's heart is, are there disadvantaged people who didn't choose where they chose to live? They didn't choose to be born in the place they were born, nor did you. Tom, you have excess wealth. What about other people? That's my heart for the world, to bless others. It's really quiet in here. Are we okay? Yeah. yeah. I'm liking this. I'm really enjoying what I'm cooking. Yeah. <laughs> So this morning, the, the message is not about fasting and, and the minutia of how do you do this? What do you, I'm not talking about fasting this morning. I'm talking about God's heart. What touches his heart? What can I do? Now, what is my obligation? What's my privilege? Now, what am I going to do out of guilt? And, oh, I already got, okay, fine, I'll give something. If, that, if, if I'm there, if you're there, don't, please don't give. Honestly, please don't. I've given out of guilt and compulsion, and I always regret it later, always. But there's a time when I look at what I have, and I'm moved by God's heart, and Lord, I just, I see what I have, and I want to be generous. I see what I have, and I'm motivated out of faith, out of excitement, out of knowing a generous king stepped off his throne and came, laying it all aside that I might be generous. Zero guilt, zero manipulation. So this church, we, we have the opportunity to reach into Haiti. We have the opportunity to reach into Guatemala. We have the opportunity to reach into uh, Afghanistan, into New Guinea, into England, into places in the United States. We, we have opportunities to give and pray for. And there's a, a man here. Could we put up a picture of a man? Just a guy. If you have anyone, there you go. <laughs> Many people will think that's Herman Chahone. He's a gentleman in the back. Could you just wave? That's Herman. And Herman uh, shared his testimony with me. I'm not going to read it just because of time this morning. I apologize, Herman. But this man, when he was a little bitty boy, was living in uh, Guatemala with a family. I've met his mom and dad. I've met some of his family, siblings, and whatnot. Herman looks like he has a blue suit on. Nice looking guy, nice hair. Thank you for that. But Herman, when he was a little boy, was a sponsored child. Somebody in the West gave money, I think it was 25 bucks a month, so that Herman could have food and read and write. Somebody sponsored my friend. Now Herman's probably 31 now. <laughs> Happy early birthday to you. Well, I don't know anybody. You do know somebody who benefited from somebody else's generosity. We do know somebody. You can take his off. That hair's bothering me. <laughs> do we have a picture? Do we have a picture of a little girl? Possibly. There we go. There's a little girl. Her name is Papia. She birthday coming up. We can do like a group birthday present, me and her. She's going to be, my math is high and Advance eight coming up. Um, that's a little girl uh, in India that my wife and I sponsor and support. And uh, I won't tell you why we selected her, um, but we just decided to select her. 
or just, Lord, help me, guide me, lead me. And so out of my excess, can I help somebody? Can I bless somebody? And so we, we sponsor her in, in our recent trip to India. Um, John, Rick, and I went to a learning child development. And there's probably 150 kids there, and um, we were the honored guests, and we pulled up in a vehicle, and um, I, I just got out first because I'm like that. And, and I saw three little girls with, like, Hawaiian lays, but they were, like, Indian lays. I have only been to Hawaii once, but it looked like a Hawaiian lay, but it was much, much nicer. And they honor guests of honor with these beautiful floral neck things, and this beautiful little girl was walking up towards me, and I'm like, John. And so he was like, what? He said, oh. So the first little girl put a, a flower thing on, on his neck. And I thought, yes, excellent. And then there's a second little girl. Rick is speaking in the talking, probably looking for food. Over away. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. I'm just guessing. We hadn't eaten in 20 minutes. And so the second little girl walked up with a, with a floral thing, and it was her. She didn't know me, but I knew her picture. She had a beaming, beautiful smile on her face. And I knelt down, and she put it around my neck, and she grabbed my hand. She's, I mean, ear to ear, just beaming. And she walks me back to where we were going to be, and um, she didn't speak a lick of English that I know, all she was saying is, you're a handsome guy. <laughs> very tall, very tall. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. You know, the Bible in Corinthians, it talks about the gift of discernment. and, and per- That one, interpretation of tongues, I just had it, I had it, it was right there. And I was just sitting there about the gift of God that I could meet this little girl because I, I don't, I have no idea where she was living. I have no idea. All I know is we sponsor a little girl in India. And here she is putting a flower, holding my hand, beaming at me because she's honored to walk a large white person back to the event that they're about to bless us with. And I shared a couple of weeks ago, she comes from a family of nine her dad makes $600 a year. She's Hindu. And in this child development center, they're teaching her to read English. And they're using Bible stories to help her. And my wife and I have the opportunity to love somebody and bless somebody. She's Hindu right now. And while we were at this childhood development center, three girls, teenagers, 16, 17, 18, came forward and they talked about their testimony of getting saved. They were Hindu. They were Muslim. And through this child development center, they had the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond and say yes to Jesus. It was amazing. I, I was deeply, deeply moved. I just want to read one last scripture, and then I'm going to have Luke come up in just a second. I just want to read one last scripture. It's Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40. Matthew 25, Verse 34 to 40. And this, this, is, a, and this is Jesus speaking. You'll, you'll know that because it's red letters in your Bible, not red letters up here. But Jesus is teaching people. It's very, very end of his ministry on earth. And he's trying to teach people there's going to be a day 
there's going to be a day where we we'll all stand before the Father. And the believers will go here and the unbelievers will go here. And he's trying to teach them the values and culture of heaven. He's, I, I want to bring you understanding. I'm not going to be with you much longer, but this is what heaven's like. This is the value system of heaven. So Jesus taught his disciples and all the listeners within earshot. And I'm just clipped just six, seven verses out of this. It's a, it's a great teaching, and it, it, it moves me. And Jesus says to his hearers, then the king, capital K, the father, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in a prison and go to visit you? They're like, what? And the king, capital K, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's the value of heaven. It's loving somebody outside of my circle, maybe outside of my visible ability to ever encounter them. It was just the kindness of heaven that allowed me to actually see and meet Papia. Totally uncoordinated, totally unplanned. Isaiah 58 says, this is, this is my brief. I want to see Isaiah 58, 11, and 12, to the Lord to guide me always. There's a brief. It's to catch God's heart. Isaiah 58, verse 6. You don't have to put it up. It says, what, what it, Tom, what's your purpose? What is your purpose on life? is to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will appear like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and I will say, here am I. If I do away with the pointing finger, the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself, Tom, on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Then the Lord will guide you always and satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and you will be like a well-watered garden whose waters never fail. And, Tom, you will be called to repair broken-down walls and a street, restore a street with dwellings. Then you'll be called that. And so I'm going to have Luke come up in 19 seconds. So at the conclusion of the meeting today, after Luke speaks, and I'll take two minutes after he gets done, um, we have the opportunity to sponsor some children. It's $35 a month, and it's at the same facility where this little girl, Papia, was that Rick and John and I had the opportunity. It's $35 a month. What does that do? It feeds them. They're going to learn English, learn math, learn to read, write basic medical, which they don't get in their country. They don't get it. They don't get food. We met so many people who were starving. 
so, so many people. What, what's that? My lunch today, 35 bucks. So again, if you feel oppressed, I'm sorry, if you feel manipulated, if you feel guilted, just please just walk on by. No big deal. But if you feel like, Lord, oh, that's something I'd love to do that. Perfect. There's two tables out in front in the foyer after our meeting today. Here's pictures of kids, an opportunity. You can see which one. That's exactly what we did. Uh, I, I saw a picture of a whole bunch of kids, and I, we picked this little girl for very specific reasons. My heart was just drawn to this little girl. It's $35 a month. You can do that and help change someone's life forever. You could be like a Herman Chahone standing in the back and remember, hey, somebody loved me and gave me an opportunity and changed my life. So we're going to dismiss the meeting now. But there is a uh, table out in the foyer. It's an opportunity to change a life. It's 35 bucks a month. If you are moved, motivated, you can sign up this morning. There's a bunch of kids' pictures out there. You can do it. That's probably the easiest way, best way. There's also compassionway/kids.org where you can go online and sponsor a child through that. But can I just encourage you? Don't let opportunity get out of hand. Don't let opportunity get. Out. If you were moved or motivated, encouraged, some spark of faith, go to the table today, this day, and look at the kids and just pray, Lord, which one? Papia's taken. Change a life. Amen. So we're dismissed. Be blessed. Be encouraged. If you want to, uh, if you're a guest, you're relatively new. Can we meet you in the back? We'd love to say hi to you, my wife and I. Thank you, and have an amazing day. Thank you.